Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Jessica here. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Hanif Adarafqib to the show. Hanif is one of the most beautiful writers, most interesting thinkers, and most important cultural critics working today. If you have not given yourself the pleasure of reading his writing, you must correct that immediately. He is the author of They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest, and the recent A Little Devil in America, Notes and Praise of Black Performance, which was a finalist for the National Book Award. He's also a poet and is the author of a volume of poems called A Fortune for Your Disaster. You can find his writing at a variety of places, including the Paris Review, the New York Times, Pinwheel, Brooklyn Magazine, and Bleacher Report. He also runs 68 to 05, a playlist project where he commissions essays about music and compiles playlists of music from different years. He's also very successful in the podcast realm with Object of Sound and Lost Notes 1980. He did a great two-piece podcast series with the 11th titled Time Machine, and I recently heard him on a wonderful episode of Still Processing about TV theme songs. He's also a MacArthur Fellowship recipient, meaning he got one of those so-called genius grants. And perhaps most importantly, you can tell me, Hanif, he's from and loves Columbus, Ohio. So while we're going to touch on some of this, maybe, in the interview, he is primarily here at Burn It All Down today to talk about the NBA, his own fandom, and these current playoffs. Welcome to Burn It All Down, Hanif. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. I actually first wanted to ask about soccer. Yeah. Because you were a soccer player. So tell me how you got into playing soccer and what position did you play? Yeah, so I got into soccer... Because I I think I had a natural skill set for it. Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah. So basketball is my first sport and I love basketball and you know played basketball as well. But I, I have very um good instincts. Um I'm very quick or I was very quick, slightly less quick these days. Um and I was just good with the ball on my foot. Mm. Even though I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up playing soccer. Uh, I have good balance and these kind of things. And so I was a good defender, which is funny because my main, the thing that kind of kept me off the floor in basketball is that I had no interest in playing defense. Um, but <laughs> in soccer, I played um, central defender, outside defender, anywhere along the back line, um, a little bit of defensive midfield. And then when I got to college, I played, I was a little too short to play kind of center back. Uh, so I played on the outside and I moved up to forward, uh, which was interesting because, you know, I was very fast. And so there's, but you can't really teach finishing, you know, mm. or it's hard to teach finishing at that level. And I could shoot from distance well, but for some reason being um, in front of the goal was really challenging for me. Mm. And I never really figured that out, but I, I, I was effective enough, I think, because sometimes you just need a, a striker who is fast enough to put pressure on the back yeah. line. And uh, that was kind of my role, you know, um, but when it got to kind of like me directly in front of the goal, it was so puzzling. Uh, less so now. It's funny because now, like, I don't really play soccer as much anymore. If I'm playing like rec league sports, it's usually basketball. But when I was playing rec league in my like 20s, it was always indoor. And I was so good at scoring goals huh. because it's just that, that kind of the pace of indoor soccer suited me a bit more. It's more chaotic. It's yeah. just about kind of like wherever the ball bounces, if you're there, you know, the, the pitch is a lot small. You know, it's just like a different vibe. I love it. Um so you mentioned that basketball, your first love. Tell me what you love 
about basketball? Well, it's interesting because um, my relationship with basketball was informed mostly. I mean, I'm a big I'm a big NBA fan, but I'm also a big fan of W, like a huge fan of W, and we can talk a bit about that too. But it, some of that is because my first engagement with live basketball was women's basketball because of the ABL, the very short-lived ABL. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if folks listening will remember the ABL, but the team that was most successful during the ABL's very brief run was the Columbus Quest. Oh, okay. Katie Smith and Tanya Edwards, and they were coached by Brian Agler. And what happened was this thing where, you know, once the W began, everyone from the Columbus Quest essentially, like Brian Agler left to coach the Minnesota Lynx and just bought everyone with him, you know, but for two years, they were the champions and no one, you know, those games you could get into for like nothing, you know, they they played in like the convention center. I'm pretty sure the games were free because I was at so many of them and my family was not very, (laughs) my family had no money. And so the games had to be free, but I say all that to say, I got to watch up close these very fascinating, like one-on-one battles, you know, the ABL was like, it was a pro league, but a lot of the women who were playing in it were just kind of angling for, you know, at that point, the WNBA was like bubbling up under the surface. Right, and so they were right. kind of just like passing time. Not saying that they didn't take it seriously, but you could tell that it was like a lot of Katie Smith ISOs, you know? And so I got to watch what I grew to love most about basketball, which is this kind of like one-on-one dance between an offensive player and a defensive player in a really small contained space. It is why I still to this day kind of love guards. I love inventive dribbling. I love this mm. idea of um, like basketball um, as an escape, as a seeking of small doorways. That's why I like watching Steph Curry off the ball, you know, because he's always kind of seeking that escape, that like little window sliver of space to escape through. And to get to, I keep referencing Katie Smith because she is kind of the first person I watched and was like, oh, she's always moving. Like even when she, mm. it doesn't seem like she's moving, she's always moving. And she was always just looking for a small sliver of space, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a kind of I don't I think it's overused to talk about basketball's poetry, but there's a kind of poetics in that kind of seeking um that I really love. But I also just I love it for all the artificial reasons too. Like I love dunks and I love trash talk and I love, you know, I love a player who has an immense amount of swagger. You know, I grew up with Allen Iverson and and just adored him to to, you know, to have a player his size and, and his level of dominance was was so special to me. That is so great. Um do you watch the college game? Oh yeah. 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 Um, it's so funny. I'm working on um I'm working on my next book right now, which is vaguely about basketball, though not really. You know, I think I'm tricking people. I was gonna say I was gonna ask you about this because the New York Times in a profile recently wrote he's writing a book about basketball. Something yeah. to that effect. It's yeah. a trick, you know, it's funny because <laughs> and I, I say this to say that like it I began, it opens with me talking about the Fab Five. Because mm. that was the first college team I loved, but really the whole opening chapter is it begins with a fab five, but it's just about how much I love bald people, like growing up loving bald people. Like my father's bald, my grandfather's bald. There's <laughs> a, a huge bit about Michelle and Deggio Cello. You know, it's oh. like, and so I, I think it'll be interesting when people actually get their hands on this book in two years or whatever. They're going to be like, this isn't just about basketball. But yeah, I love the college game. I actually grew up loving the college game more than the pro game. Some of this was because guys just stayed, you know? Yeah. And I still love the college game yeah. now, but it's a, it's a different kind of love. You know, I, I grew up loving those Ohio State teams too. You know, the like Randy Ayers teams, Mike Red and George Reese and these folks. So my, my love for the college game is probably more expansive now. Um, what do you mean by expansive? 
Well, because I grew up, growing up, it was hard to watch women's college basketball. Yes. We've met once. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, I'm six feet tall. Yeah. And I was like a middle schooler then playing middle school basketball is like this giant. Um, and that would have been, you know, the early to mid 90s. Right. Yeah. I can remember just trying to seek out women's college ball on television. Someone bought me, probably my dad, bought me some giant like hardback photo book of women playing college ball that I used to just like look at all the time because it was my one way in. I remember trying to seek it out just to see whatever I could. It was much harder then. It was way hard. And I, growing up, if you, for me, if you grow up kind of in any neighborhood where people can hoop, which I did, I grew up on the east side of Columbus. And I feel like that, um, growing up on the east side of Columbus in the 90s, like that really meant something, like people could hoop for real. right. And if you grow up in any area where people can hoop for real, undoubtedly it's not just dudes hooping, you know? I knew like young women were playing, I was playing against them on in pickup. They were on the courts. They were like, you know, really playing. Um, and so, but it was hard for me to find on television women's basketball. Even when the WNBA hit, like, and that was on TV, it was still hard to find college basketball, women's basketball. So I mean, like now, I think I'm, because I have more access to it. Mm. And also, so I lived in Connecticut for two and a half years. And before that, I didn't really, like, have a WNBA team. I just kind of, like, watched. But I lived in Connecticut from, like, 2014 to 2017, which meant that, you know, Brianna Stewart was at UConn. And that also meant that the Connecticut Sun were, like, not very good in that era. Right. Oh, right, and so right. This, thing, this thing was happening where, like, I wanted to go to UConn games, but you just couldn't get, like, truly could not get in, like, there was a point I remember like one morning, I forgot who they were playing. It was a kind of big game. And I just never seen her play. I'd never seen I'd never seen Brianna Stewart play in person. I was like, I gotta go. And I tried to like pull up early, early to get a ticket and waited and waited and waited. It was just impossible. <laughs> but the sun wasn't nobody going to them games. Like them games were like so I kind of fell into this thing and they were like, the sun was that kind of that shit you do when you were just like in the casino, you know, mm-hmm. if you were bored in the casino and the numbers weren't hidden. You go sit down. Yeah. Yeah. So I would <laughs> watch a game. I would go watch the sun, you know, and I, I think this uh, comes to life with my Timberwolves fandom too. all my sports fandom. I'm just drawn to teams that are now the sun are good. So it's like, I, you know, this is whatever is <laughs> this me saying this, but they have that whole thing about. They're always acting like Underdog. people are doubting yeah, them. Yeah, that's like... Yeah, it, everyone's like, you are winning. But I think it's <laughs> like, because I, I fell in love with that team because it was like, these are kind of like lovable losers at the moment. Mm-hmm. But even when they were bad, you could tell that they, were, they weren't like hapless entirely. But it was this thing where I was like, this is my kind of team, a team no one's checking for, no one really cares about. Whenever people talk about like pro... Sports in Connecticut, it was always like, well, UConn's women are the best of pro sports mm-hmm. team, you know, much like, you know, like Ohio State football is Columbus's NFL team in that way. Right, um, right. Of course. But I, I never saw, I saw Brianna Stewart playing college one time and it wasn't in Connecticut. They were playing an away game because I, <laughs> I was like, I got to see her play. And it was the only way I could see her play was going to an away game. Aaron and I went to a University of Texas women's basketball game when Jody Conrad was still coaching. We went when UConn came to town. And there were a ton of UConn people in the stands and there was this couple sitting behind us and they had flown in because like that was how they could watch a UConn game yeah. was to fly to Austin from wherever they lived. That It was easier at that time than trying to get in uh, to stores to see them. It was str- I'd never seen anything like that, you know, and I, I mean, truly, and I'm from Columbus, you know, where OSU football is 
it's a religious infrastructure. Yeah. But I, I'd never seen anything like like being around UConn in that era. Yeah. And I'm sure it's still like that now, you know, and I'm sure it's been like that before, you know, truly you could not get into those games. And as bitter as I was the moment, it's kind of cool in retrospect, but even when Sabrina was at Oregon, I feel mm-hmm. like I could get into those games, you know? Like I I saw like a an Oregon State Oregon game. You know, it's like these kind of things in Connecticut that is you know, UConn's women's basketball is the religion in a way that I was not prepared for when I was there. Mm, I love that. Uh, so you mentioned your Timberwolves fandom, and I wanted to know why. Yeah. Why is this your team? Why, like, because why not the Cavaliers? I guess. Well, the, the thing I say for me is that, like, my so my whole family, with the exception of me and my brother, who's like sixteen months apart from me or so, uh, is from New York. Mm. You know, we moved. They moved to Ohio in the early '80s, and so I grew up mostly around Knicks fans. Some, I would rate the Knicks fandom from like on a scale of passive to a little bit intense. Okay. You know? This is when the Knicks were, were mm-hmm. good. So they were on TV often in the playoffs often. And when they got to the playoffs, I feel like my older siblings and my dad would be a little more intense around them. My mom really loved Charles Smith. And and I just did not like the Knicks. I, I didn't like the way they played. I sometimes like John Starks, but not often, you know? And conversely, I also didn't really like the Cavs. Okay. Uh, I liked Terrell Brandon, but he he wasn't there yet. You know, if we're talking like early early nineties. Now, of course, this was also in the era of Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. but something happened in that like Michael Jordan retirement year, or just a little bit before it, and it's that Kevin Garnett went to the Timberwolves. Ah, of course, yes. And if you were in the Midwest, you know, we didn't always have cable, but you could get this kind of. Um, buffet of midwest sports teams like on Hmm. local tv the pacers bulls on wgn Cavs, without a doubt if you get into the upper midwest you get bucks and you get timberwolves and the timberwolves are kind of a fascination because they had kg who's just like out of high school yeah that's right and i was just so into them i was so into him as a player um much like what drew me to the sun and what draws me to teams always it was kind of like well this is the team that no one is that no one seems to be interested in, you know, except me. Like none of my friends mm-hmm. were tim- into the Timberwolves. Everyone was into the Knicks or the Bulls or, you know, the occasional Lakers fan, but not a ton. It was really Columbus was a heavy like Knicks Bulls kind of thing. Cavs sometimes, but Knicks Bulls for sure. And so it felt like I was rooting for these outsiders. You know, the thing about fandom in all always is the entry point can be anything. We stumble into these things almost accidentally, and then they become a large part of our identities, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I I never really detached from that Timberwolves fandom, even when it seemed, and I think they also became, I call, I latched onto them in an interesting era because I latched onto them in the beginning of the Kevin Garnett era, and I got to watch him ascend through the ranks of that era. And rooting for them then became this real practice and persistence. Mm-hmm. Because they were kind of just running up against the wall in the playoffs every year, every single year. This also, you know, I don't really watch the NFL anymore, but when I did, I was a Bengals fan. Like, Mm. I grew up a Bengals Mm -hmm. fan, and I loved, I mean, just, it's so funny to think how far I have detached from my NFL fandom. Because I didn't even fucking know the Bengals were good this year until, (laughs) like, the they were in the the conference final in the playoffs. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit, the Bengals are, like, good? Uh, and I watched a bit of Super Bowl because, you know, I I don't know, you know, if they had won, 
It was just so funny to think, though, because I remember being like 19 and being like, man, if the Bengals ever make it a Super Bowl in my lifetime, I'm going. And now this year, I was like, I'm not getting on a plane on a, a damn Super Bowl. <laughs> but um, but they were kind of the same thing where the Bengals would for years run up against this wall mm-hmm. in the playoffs, round one, get out, round one, get out. And there's something kind of, I am a hopeful, well, I am not a hopeful person, but uh, <laughs> I kind of have used up all my my stores of optimism on frivolous things like sports right and there is something like uniquely demoralizing about a team good enough to make the playoffs but not do anything in the playoffs because you have to linger in this like in-between space where you're not bad enough to rebuild but you're not good enough to actually do a lot and you just kind of have to be satisfied with making it to the playoffs and so that was the Timberwolves for me for a while until that breakthrough year with you know Cassell and Sprewell um and it's so funny because I look back on those years and how anguished and upset I was during those years where the Timberwolves would get eliminated in the playoffs. And I think about the last, like, you know, mostly 15, 16 years of Timberwolves fandom and how much I would want that back. I want, you know, I would <laughs> love course. to have a team good enough to make the playoffs every year. How are you feeling after this season with the Timberwolves making it through the play-in? Yeah, well, I'm optimistic, but I... um I'm reminded of sports fandom is so strange. As I as I age, I think my relationship with it changes, of course. But right now, I just I need sports to be a source of something other than anguish. Mm. And I am I'm aware that most sports fans that I seem to interact with rely on anguish as propulsion. Yeah. Right. Yes. And for me, that was romantic at a point. I mean, I live in Ohio, right? And most of my pals are like Cleveland sports fans who just, and I'm writing about Cleveland sports fandom right now. And there is romanticism to that particular type of anguish where they have invested so much into their reliance on heartbreak that perhaps the heartbreak is more sweet than the success. Um, Or the heartbreak makes the kind of out of nowhere, singular success, more alluring. Like I'm writing right now about this kind of weird thing that happened in the 2016 finals where um, when the Cavs got down 3-1, I knew so many Cavs fans who were so conditioned to that kind of emotional letdown that they were like, part of them was like, well, you know, we made it this far and I'm glad we made it this far. And I'm like, I'm not mm-hmm. expecting anything. But there was a part of them too that was like, but what if? And it's that's such a weird space to occupy but so I guess the, that's a long answer to say that I feel good. You know, I, I'm i like alarmed by the amount of Timberwolves fans who think that they should blow up the team and start again and rebuild and like, or trade Carl Towns for whatever they think they're going to get for Carl Towns, which isn't, you know, there's, there's no greater gap, I think, in the NBA fans' mind than the gap between like, you know, what Carl Towns is on the floor and what his trade value is. Because everyone is all, people mm-hmm. are like, well, you know, he's not as good as you think. He's not as, you know, he's got these flaws. But then when it comes time to like trade Carl Towns, people are like, oh, you can get a lot for him. And so it's like, what is what, what is the truth? Um, I don't want to be in a position where this team is rebuilding. I think uh, the playoffs were, I did not panic much during the playoffs. Now, those, those games where they gave up those big leads were definitely, that was, that was rough. Yeah, yeah. It was rough to see. Um. And I'm trying my my therapist has me doing a thing where I say and instead of but because she thinks it'll work on my pessimism. Um, so <laughs> it's a good exercise, perhaps we'll see. So yeah, I mean those collapses were difficult, and I just think that's what happens when you're a team that is young and inexperienced and doesn't know how to win. 
They don't know how to win in playoffs. To be fair, like giving up two 20 point leads in one game is egregious. There's no, there's like no dressing that up. Yeah. But I also just think that's what happens when you just don't know how to win. And I, I think, um, that's hard. I did go to a game. I went to a game four in Minnesota, um, which would have been a lot sweeter had they not collapsed in game three the way they did. But it was really cool. I mean, they won game four. To see a Timberwolves playoff win in person in my lifetime, I think, was something I really did not think I would get to do. Um, and so that was great. I just remember – I will always remember that. I'll always remember being in the arena when they won game four. Um, so to be clear to everyone listening, we're recording on Monday, May 9th. And where we stand is that the Milwaukee Bucks are leading the Boston Celtics 2-1 in their series. Memphis Grizzlies – with a possibly injured Ja Morant, are down one game to two against yeah. the Golden State Warriors. The Philadelphia 76ers, behind apparently a resurgent James Harden, uh, leveled their series at the Miami Heat at 2-2, and the Dallas Mavericks are also tied with the Phoenix Suns at 2-2. This will come out before game six for any of these series, so the, these four teams, or these eight teams will still be going at it by the time everyone hears this. Are you, now that the Timberwolves are out, are you rooting for any specific team that's left? No, which is great. It's great to like have <laughs> the freedom of just, it's like so freeing. I would like, I, I really like Joel Embiid so much, mm. you know, like I, and I've, and I have turned the corner on him a lot because I think like a lot of fans, I was so annoyed by him in the first act of his career because it seemed like so much, um, substantial play sure but he was so grating and he, i think he was a little immature on the floor but i think he actually maybe doesn't get enough credit for this kind of complete inside out reinvention that he's done like hmm. his game has evolved absolutely but i think personality wise he's also reinvented himself maybe after you know in the season where they lost to toronto but really after that he's become just kind of like singularly motivated and I, i'm just such a big fan of his i'm such a big fan of his game um, it would be kind of cool. I, I, my my heart says I don't think the Sixers or the Heat can beat the Bucks or the Celtics, but I would like to see the Sixers just get a crack at the Eastern Conference Finals again. I really would. Um, I also like the Heat. You know, I some Timberwolves fans have this weird like residual animosity towards hmm. Jimmy Butler, which I just don't have. Yeah, and he's playing lights out at least in this last game. Yeah, you know, and he's he's like really great to watch when he's locked in. And I know the way he left Minnesota was not ideal. I didn't love it in the moment. I was really frustrated with it in the moment, but I'm really thankful for the time that Minnesota got him. And uh, he has also just like found his team in Miami. He's like found the place where he can kind of be like the full, you can get the full Jimmy Butler experience in a way that so richly enhances everyone around him. And so I, Miami and, and Philly's kind of washed, but I, I would maybe like to see Joel Embiid get another crack at getting to the finals. But the rest of them, I'm just kind of enjoying the games, which is great. I don't know. I'm a little puzzled by the Phoenix Dallas series. Yeah, the fact that Dallas is hanging in there. I thought that was going to be a sweep. And it seemed like Phoenix had this strategy the first couple games of we're just going to let Luca do whatever he wants and stop the other guys. And that worked. Luca mm -hmm. was getting, you know, 40 points, but they were getting blown out. And it seemed like they shifted to this uh strategy that doesn't serve them as well. Because you can't, I think, with Dallas, you can't really be like, well, let's slow down Luka and let these other guys beat us. Because those other, those other motherfuckers can beat you. You know, like, <laughs> it's not like he's playing. I think mm -hmm. this, the, the, the Mavs are heliocentric. Like, Luka is the, yeah, they revolve, yeah. obviously. But yeah. 
it's not like he's playing with a bunch of scrubs either. You know, like those guys, you know, with all respect to like Nikola Jokic, like these aren't the nuggets, you know, you can't, you can't be like, let's, let's focus all our attention on this one guy and let the other guys beat us. Cause Jalen Brunson can beat you. Dorian Finney Smith can beat you. Like these guys can beat you. Um, apparently Davis Bertans can still beat you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that, that series has been interesting to watch. I still think the Suns are going to pull it out, uh, but it would kind of be interesting if they didn't. I say this as someone who, Really thinks for the sake of legacy, it would be cool if Chris Paul got a ring. I know. There's a big part of me with that where I would just like to see him accomplish that. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need it, but it would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It would be cool. Um, Has anything surprised you in these playoffs? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the Celtics just continue to surprise me. Yeah. because It just seems like they're – I know that teams of all the seasons go and – that's always delightful. But the Celtics, that the first act of the season for the Celtics was like so uniquely atrocious. Like it was their their record was like mediocre. Mm-hmm. But the games were bad. They were just just like really atrocious. And I don't know. They just kind of turned it on on every level. Um, and that has been a real delight. And it I think Jason Tatum continues to surprise me. Mm. It just seems like he's uh I've always liked Jason Tatum, you know. I just like these kind of guys who are big volume scorers who look cool scoring. I think Jason Tatum <laughs> just looks very cool scoring the basketball. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he actually, I, I think he doesn't get enough credit for uh, both sides of the ball. He's just an incredible defender too. And I think he always rises to the, the occasion of wanting to guard a star. And uh, I, I'm impressed by the Celtics. That's been surprising. I'm, I'm a little surprised uh, to see how quickly the narrative has shifted on the Grizzlies. Yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like people are like, I love this young feel good team. Now people are like, They're a okay, mess. shut up. Yeah, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's wild. It is. Um, do you have any thoughts on the refing? It's been bad. There, that's been such yeah. a narrative. Part of this, I think, is like my pro worker instincts. <laughs> I am, I am a very referee sympathetic person because that's a really hard job. It's a shit job. Yeah, you're gonna be wrong half the time. It's based off of just like you know seeing and guessing essentially and basketball they're so close to the fans yeah the refereeing has been bad well actually that's not true because someone actually was gracious enough to do stats on i was gonna say i don't know if it's been uniquely bad but someone did some stats showing how much more frequently fouls were called so i guess it has been uniquely bad yeah Um, there was a good espn daily episode about that last week with the guy espn who is an expert on refs. So it has, I suppose, statistically, it has been uniquely bad. But a thing that I'm also, that I'm kind of more troubled by is, and this has come up, I think, in the Memphis Golden State series, but it also happened in the Toronto uh, Philly series, where I, I just kind of hate that whenever a player gets injured, we do this weird litigation of blame seeking. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't believe that every player is on the floor intentionally looking to hurt another player. Yeah. Like I remember when Scotty Barnes got hurt in Toronto, people were like, I think Embiid meant to do that. And then, well, there's something right around Ja right now with his knee yeah, and like yeah, whether or not that was Jordan Poole was like twisting his knee. <laughs> it's probably not. It just happened. It's basketball. It just happens. And I feel like that is, there's been an uptick of that in the playoffs. I mean, of course there has because the stakes are higher and, yeah, people being on the floor is. I mean, as we're seeing with the Sixers, for example, like Joel Embiid, for example, being on the floor is vital to that team's mm-hmm. ability to win games. Um, right. And so I, I get it, but it, it does. You know, I went from really being excited about Memphis Golden State to now kind of being like, I just want this thing to end. I just want this series to end. <laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, if Jaws hurt, then it probably won't be. It won't too be much long. longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am going to ask you to make a prediction okay. about who you think is maybe who's going to make it to the final. And if you're willing to say who you think might take it, the championship this year. Yeah. Okay. So mm, this is tough because I think the winner of Buck Celtics is winning the East, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think Yanis is so singularly good at just like really willing a team to victory. There aren't mm-hmm. many players in any sport who I think can singular, singular handily will their team to victory. And he just does it again and again. Bucks also play 48 full minutes. And I think a lot of teams just don't really do that. We see it time and time again, where a team thinks they have them beat in the fourth quarter. And the minute that team begins to coast a little bit, the Bucks are still there. Mm. I'm going to say the Bucks for now, just because I just think it's, they're the, they're the champs and you got to beat the champs. I am going to out of the West, as much as I want to say Chris Paul gets to the finals, I'm going to say the Warriors. I feel like it's the Warriors, too. It just I was feels, like, he's going to um, say the Warriors. The only team that can beat them is them, it seems like. You know, that mm. t- that game they lost mm-hmm. to the Grizzlies was a close game, and they shot like a nightmare percentage Terrible. from three. You yeah. Know, Clay was just disastrous. And it, that game was within, you know, they were still in it. Yeah, the didn't they end. lose by like five? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they played terribly and barely lost. Yeah. That is when I was kind of like, I think the Warriors might, because you just can't bank on them playing that poorly seven games in a row. Um, whereas Phoenix, you know, it, will Jay Crowder have a game where he hits 10 threes or will Jay Crowder have a game where he misses everything? You know, it's kind of like uh, DeAndre Ayton is great, but will they work him into the game plan enough? These kind of things happen with Phoenix. Chris Paul has been like embarrassing the past couple games. I don't think that will hold up. That probably won't hold up. I think Chris Paul is good and he will figure it out, but it's a little, a little scary to see him having games like that in the playoffs after how he performed in the first, first series in the beginning of this series. And so I just, I, I want to believe in the Suns, especially because I really like Devin Booker a lot. I've always liked yeah. Devin Booker so much, but yeah, uh, I think I believe in, I believe in Golden State more, particularly if, if Draymond is, you know, healthy and, and on point as he has been, um, Golden State's so fascinating because they have a team of the present and a team of the future kind of on the same team with with Poole and Kaminga and who knows if James Wiseman will be fine. I I'm, I hope so. I, I get concerned when, you know, young big men have like lower body injuries that yeah, linger. Yeah, yes, uh, yes. But I'm really hoping James Wiseman, you know, can contribute. But uh, the Warriors, I think. I think it'll be Warriors Bucks if that comes down to it. Um, I think it would depend on if Chris Middleton is back. Yeah, which I think he good. would be by that point. He would be in that case. I would, I would say Bucks in seven. Mm, all right. Okay. I won't hold you to it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I feel like that could sway. <laughs> After like if the making Bucks, you do that, I won't hold you to it. <laughs> if the Bucks lose tonight, I might sway to the Celtics. So who knows? Okay, that's fair. Um, there was news today that I wanted to ask you about, which is all the reports that Nikola Jokic is going yeah. to be the MVP again this year, um, finishing ahead of Joel Embiid. Yeah. What What's your reaction to that? I so I'm not big on individual awards, mostly because I think they're they're just so greatly flawed. This across spectrums. I'm not big on individual awards, even in my own profession and field. Um, <laughs> even when I am nominated for them, I'm not. Uh, I am notoriously not that interested in them, though. I, I'm sure my agent would like me to be more so. Um, <laughs> and so I'm just not that invested. But I was hoping for a Joel Embiid this year, in part because 
it seems so long ago because the seasons are long, but I, and I will agree with anyone who says that the Sixers had a better supporting cast around Embiid. You know, the Nuggets supporting cast is like not ideal, but it's not like the Sixers are rolling out. You know, before they got hard, it's not like they were rolling out like all stars. Yeah. There were points early yeah. in the season where like Embiid was having to put up like forty and fifteen just to get past the Orlando Magic. You know. And I kind of I think that matter. I remember watching those games, and I I think I just like him a lot. I, I like both players a whole lot, um, but Embiid was really just the work he put in this season, and the way that he really like dragged that team through and dragged I think a city um, that was for better or worse um, really in a place of pain and frustration, mm-hmm. and I think he really kept that city afloat. You know. Um, and I know that MVP awards don't necessarily always go into the emotional aspect of, of a player's, what a player has done for a place. But, uh, I, I really, you know, Philly was, was in a tough place to start the season. And, uh, I really loved watching him operate. And I, I, I don't know. I worry most about Miami now because, it, you know, Joel Embiid doesn't seem to be like someone who needs extra motivation other than just wanting to win. But he also seems like the kind of player who will take extra motivation when he gets it, when he can get it, you know. <laughs> and so I'm a little bit worried about how this is going to impact that Miami series because they might be in trouble. Um, I figured uh, Jokic will win it, but I, I also just kind of – I really like Embiid. And I also don't know if he'll have a year like this again. And mm, Yeah. You know, he just – he works so hard and he plays so hard and – I always worry about the toll these kind of seasons take on a, on a player. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope he can have a kind of season like this again, but it, it could be tough. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I did solicit some questions from Twitter, which you know can be dangerous, but these actually turned out to be great. So let like let's run them down, and we'll start with the what I would guess the toughest one. But it's something you and I have talked about before because of loving sports. But you were very nice to do a conversation with Kavita yeah. and I. And so this is always the silliest part. Someone with the handle Tacos for Brenda, which I hope that Brenda gets her tacos. She asked. How do we reconcile the very toxic work environments, i.e. the math, sex, sexist corporate culture with our love for the game? This is a feminist issue, but also a labor issue. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely a labor issue. And I think, I mean, every 
all of the math that I do as a sports fan or as a consumer of anything, but yes. since we're talking about talking about sports, like let's hone on sports, is making these considerations. Like the reason, the reason I stopped being an NFL fan, for example, actually happened before the Kaepernick protests. Uh, I think the season before, it was a health issue for me. You know, I was mm-hmm. watching a game where like a clearly concussed player. I think actually it was Cam Newton. It was the first game of. The season, he was yeah. very concussed. He would have so many, yeah. And he was like still playing and getting hit, and I was in it. It was this visceral thing where I was like, I just can't do it anymore. I don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah, it like makes you feel sick. And so some of this rubs up against that for me too, where um, because I am someone who is always thinking about workers and worker safety and care for workers, my concern is sometimes skewed less towards the product on the floor, on the field, or what have you, and more towards how that product is being produced and who is producing it and the health of that. Um, And so for me, it's a tough reconciliation. And sometimes I find myself departing from the intensity that I once had as a sports fan because of these conflicts. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm not, I'm still a very intense sports fan though. Not the one, not the sports fan I was maybe 10 years ago, even five years ago, because on every level, on almost, on most every level, folks who are working for or working with the public or the team are disrespected. Like even players, you know, we talked, I, I've been, I went to like four or five games this year and sat close enough to the action to hear the way players are treated while they're on the floor. Mm. Uh, and that pales in comparison to some of these, uh, well, not pales, but it is a different comparison to some of these things that are happening in front offices, sexual harassment and uh, mm-hmm. assault and different violences in that way. But it, it is kind of, it makes me realize that from in every kind of sector of this mode of entertainment, there's some abusive behavior taking place and it gets, it does get challenging to reconcile. Yeah. Yeah, there's been all the stuff around coaches being abusive. We were just talking about that this morning yeah. on Burn It All oh, Down, yeah, the, and the Cynthia Cooper thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was like that. That report was that report was jarring to read. I don't know. I'll let you go into it, but it was it yeah. was jarring. But you're just all the different, yeah, just all the different. You, you get in it all, and yeah. it's like something will inevitably test your fandom. Um, so Alyssa is a Philly fan through and through. And asks, which cities should the WNBA expand to besides Philadelphia? Because she's taking for granted <laughs> that they would obviously have to go have there. To, I, bring the Rockers back. I mean, you know, like for me, the Cleveland Rockers were cool. I, it'll it'll never happen again, I don't think. And I feel like, you know, but when the Rockers folded, I, I just think that they were a little bit ahead of their time. Like if the Rockers were to come back now, I think the response would be, really generous yeah but if we're talking like a new city and i'm going to exclude columbus because i actually do think a, a w team would do really well here like in anywhere in ohio i think a w hmm. team would really thrive and i think in columbus um there was brief talk about columbus being like an nba expansion team but it wouldn't work the Cavs are just too yeah. entrenched but you could drop yeah. you could drop a WNBA team here and it would be really enthusiastically received i believe but if i'm removing columbus um I would like, for some reason, Pittsburgh comes to mind. You know, all these cities I'm thinking about are cities that 
are drivable for me because right now the closest team to me is Indiana. How far is that? It's like two and a half hours. That's like me with the Dallas Wings when San Antonio went to Vegas. It was yeah. like, well, now I got to go two and a half hours. Yeah, and and half they hours. still block, they'll still black those games out. And I'm like, that's not, it's not how it works. It's like, far, you know, and the fever with all love, you know, they haven't been great. Um, no, it's, but it's a rough go over it's there. It's just not fun to watch. It's so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think Pittsburgh comes to mind. Um, I am really all about Kentucky getting more of a sports. A professional sports presence. I know they got the W uh, the NWSL team there now, and um, but Louisville would be interesting, Lu- yeah, because they have such a powerhouse women's college team. They do. So I'm also thinking about places that have like really powerhouse women's college teams, and like I feel like Louisville would be a great spot for a W's team. Hmm. Um, I like that. Unless I'm not thinking of one, Florida's so big, and I feel like I, I could be skipping a city, but they don't have a WNBA team, right? No. That's mm-hmm. surprising to me. Orlando's probably off the table. Um, Miami feels possible. Um, maybe. Uh, now I'm doing this. I feel bad because now I'm rambling. And I'm doing this thought experiment of <laughs> this mass expansion. But I, I well, do, they need um, it. <laughs> they do. I do. Yeah. I mean, I think they need. So and the, I, the tragedy of the league right now is all the players not playing because they're too. It's too good. It's too good, and they. For me, but my heart says bring the Rockers back or drop a team in Columbus. Just more teams in driving distance for those of us in the Midwest who, you know, with all like truly with all love to the Fever, I can only go. You can only see so many Fever games. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, I would love to see a team in Kentucky, a team in Pittsburgh, that that kind of thing. You know, I also more more Southern teams too, like more a team in South Carolina or mm-hmm. or yeah. even Alabama, you know, like more professional sports teams in, in the South, because I know that it's like SEC country. I know like college football is, is king down there, but I also know there's a real appetite for, I mean, like look at South Carolina, like look at what Don Staley's done in South Carolina, right? Like there's college football recruits are going to South Carolina and being like, I got to meet Don Staley. Mm-hmm. I got to meet coach Staley. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is, so I, I refuse to believe that there's not an actual hunger for, um, a WNBA team in some of the Southern states. Yeah. It's just impossible. So, yeah, it's so interesting here in Austin. Like we, the MLS team was a big deal when they how showed up. How is Austin up. FC doing? How's, how's my guy, Andrew Precourt? Uh, <laughs> uh, they've had a good first part of the season, which last year they yeah. were not good. They were not good. Um, yeah. So they're doing better, but then they played the galaxy last night and that was, um, was difficult. And it was a big deal when it showed up because we didn't have a professional sports team like there was a real vacuum in the, in that way uh so you think of in the south there's probably plenty of spaces like yeah, this where people incredible. are just like they'll get on board because they just don't have anything like it um so my friend snipey wants to know as a sneakerhead, he stores and uses his kicks without how how do you store and use your kicks without turning into one of those people that just has endless glass boxes and never the joy of wearing Oh yeah, I don't do the glass boxing. I have a, but I I am a bit um, because it's so okay. So this is funny. I think there are definitely people who like follow me on Instagram for very specific things, but there are a lot of intersections between those specific things. But there are definitely people who only follow me for like my sneakers content. Yeah, like my monthly because <laughs> I don't really share a ton of sneaker stuff. But every mm-hmm. month or so, I'll be in my sneaker room messing around and I'll like share some videos and um. The other day, someone asked me about my sneaker room. It is, I have a, I have a sneaker room that was in office. I moved into this house at the end of the pandemic and 
Uh, it's like an old house. It's built in like the 18, late 1800s. And it just has all these excess rooms and closets like a lot of those houses did back then. And whoever had this house before me converted the room off the bedroom into an office. And it had all these shelves kind of organically built in. And the minute I saw that, I was like, this is going to be my sneaker room. And then I had it kind of engineered to um, the display of it. I had all these uh, these sneaker holders drilled into the walls. Um, so it looks like like they're floating on the walls. But I also have it like dust sealed uh, so that no dust can get in. Whoa. And I have to do that. I have to do that sealing like every couple months um, to make sure the dust kind of. Uh, wow. And I have. Uh, that room has a window in it and I often have to draw the shade so that not, so that too much light does not get in and affect the sneakers themselves. Um, but I'm also really good at keeping a rotation, a seasonal rotation. Uh, Do you wear them? Oh yeah. I wear any sneaker I have. I wear, I might go months without wearing it, but I wear everything because I keep, because of the rotation I keep. And so like for this, for the spring, I'll have like 20 pairs in the rotation, 25. And over the course of three months, I'm going to get at least a couple wears out of those pairs, every one of them. Um, the summer, I'm going to have 25 sneakers. The winter, I'll probably have a little less in the rotation because I don't go outside as much. Um, but I wear everything. And if I don't, I I give sneakers away. I mean, one thing that I have, one really big fortune of mine is that my brother, uh, who I'm, I'm fairly close to, who lives in Indiana, actually my, you know, the funny thing, we're talking about basketball and coming into new levels of fandom. My niece... My niece Layla is like a a literal basketball star, like one of the top players mm. in her age group. You know, she's a freshman in high school now. Um, and like watching watching my, my brother and I kind of, as we grew up playing sports and like watching her grow into this role has been a real fascinating bonding experience for us. But he, my brother is also into sneakers and he wears my size. And so I kind of pass off a lot of pairs to him. Oh, but, that's nice. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big, you got to wear your kicks. You know, I, I can't... Um, because it's a frivolous and stupid thing to own as many sneakers as I own and to pursue sneakers still. You know, I have um, right now, I think I am at 160 pairs and that's like a stupid thing. And it's a silly wow. thing. Right. Um, and all of us have our silly things that we hoard and pursue yes. and all that. But my thing is, like, if I'm not getting any use out of a pair, I'm not going to just stash it. There's no need. I think, um, you know, there are like high school basketball players I know and I work with uh, in terms of like writing who wear my size and I'll kick them a pair every now and then. I just think I really believe in um, not holding on to things that I'm not utilizing. And so, yeah, but I, I do keep the room dust sealed. I got it like highly organized most days, some days less organized than others. Um, but I spend a lot of time in there. I, I, I actually have to go in there tonight because I got like four new pairs. And the funny thing about how rigidly organized my room is, is that getting four new pairs will throw off the whole organization set. So I got to like pull some pairs out and put some new pairs in. There's some work to do. Yeah, I'm excited for it though. <laughs> I love that about you. Um, so co-host of Burn All Down, Shreen Ahmed, she wants first to wish your dog, Wendy, a happy birthday. Yeah, Wendy's birthday was yesterday, which is so funny. Okay. And then she has asked... Does Wendy have a favorite NBA team? And I know that Shreen is out there hoping you're going to say the Raptors, but you do not have to say the Raptors. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, yeah. So Wendy, Wendy turned six yesterday, and I was at the on Saturday. I was at the Bay Area Book Festival, and I took a red eye home. You know, I, I like took a from one flying from California to Ohio and vice versa. It's awful now. There's no more direct flights. So, oh. but 
I was like, you know, I got on a red eye at like 10 p.m. And at the book festival, I was talking to people. And they're like, you're staying around for the... And I'd always be like, no, 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 I got to go home because my dog's birthday is tomorrow. And it's one of those things that I was just saying very <laughs> organically and not realizing that yeah. it probably sounded ridiculous to these like, <laughs> you know, these literary masters or whatever. But um, Wendy loves watching basketball she gets very i think it's just simply she watches tv she really like, watches our dog TV. does not yeah. watch he is does not respond in any way to the television but she watches wendy's like a real tv watcher in basketball i think it's just something about the quick movement you know she's not really that sure. way with soccer i think soccer is maybe not her kind of pace but i think the quick movement and with that in mind i will say that maybe her favorite team is the hornets only because the pace at which they play Anytime the Hornets were like a big league pass team for me this year um, because they're a lot of fun. And the pace at which they play just really captivates her. Like she would just lock in and just watch back and forth. Like her eyes would just dart back and forth. She really liked the Hawks last year. Like I think it's about it's all about pace. Any team okay. that any team that pushes the ball, like pushes tempo, she's really into just because it's like quick movements. But she does watch TV. She's a massive TV watcher. She grumbles at the screen when the Timberwolves play sometimes, and I also join her in that. So depending on the, depending on the. Score. I love how legit that answer just was. Yes. Shereen's, <laughs> what team does your dog root for? Uh, so trouble Nikki with a good one since he is both an NBA and music person. Now that we've seen, okay, so now that we've seen AI and Jada Kiss and Jean Morant and Little Baby do collabs, what's his player rapper dream duo? Bonus points if he names a woman player rapper duo. Oh, I can do. I mean, let's do the bonus. <laughs> yeah, let's do the bonus. Well, because one, I think Jalen Green and Megan Thee Stallion. So that's that's on one end, right? Um, not just because of the Houston thing, but because I think there is a real. What I like about Meg is that she is just so um, audacious. It doesn't seem like anything is outside of her reach, and. There are parts of Jalen Green's game that haven't come around yet, but what I like about them, those parts, is that he is he has that kind of audacity to dream himself bigger than he actually is. I, I think there's a hmm. what I loved about Megan early on was that she was, and still now, but I think early on she was so good at just absorbing the self mythologizing that she was doing. She was like making mythologies of her own self, like building out personalities and absorbing them and then building on top of them. And I think Jalen Green has a future in that. So that's one. But um, if I am thinking about the W, the player, this is tricky because she's a rookie, but like Destiny Henderson comes to mind immediately. But I'm also just like such a big fan. But I, I'm going to, I'm going to, and she's table down that the road one. in Indiana. And she's down the road. I joked about like I can't see enough fever games, but I actually got yesterday. I got tickets to a fever game, <laughs> um, but only because I'm such a big fan, you know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. of Destiny Henderson's. But I'm going to table Destiny Henderson and say, um, I'm going to go a, a cliche thing and say Liz, Liz Cambage, and because she embodies the kind of uh, spirit of a of a rapper in a lot of ways. Sure, I think. Uh, for and I say that for better or worse, but um, if I were to reach back into history a little bit, I would say Liz and Queen Latifah, but not Queen Latifah now, Queen Latifah, like in the Black Rain era, Queen Latifah, or I love this. like early 90s Queen Latifah, mm -hmm. because of their kind of twin 
levels of of defiance again for better or worse but um that that's that's a pairing that i think would be interesting you know and i also think that we're kind of at a point where this doesn't seem that out of reach for you know i mean i think the wmba has has its flaws in terms of not not just marketing but like capacity to market and capability to market you know it's still like harder than i would like it to be to get yeah a WNBA jersey, you know, like oh my gosh, they sold out of the. There's like a Connecticut Sun. Maybe I should go back and check today, but I was trying to get a Connecticut Sun jersey like a couple weeks ago, and it was just hard. Like mm-hmm. one, one was sold out. The other one was from like two years ago. You know, it's this kind of thing, um, which is only puzzling to me because there's a real hunger for that. It's not like people are like, I don't really want these jerseys, so you know, like there's like I know, a real. I, it'll never make sense to like me. Like people are, you know, people are like eager to get these their hands on these things. <laughs> yes, it's, it's yes. so puzzling. Um, I can see if there was just like not a demand, but I think we're maybe past the point. Too. I don't know. Like most of my homies watch the W and like want merch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. You know, I think WNBA is like run into some walls with capacity to market and ability to market. But I, I hope my hope is that we're going to start to evolve in ways that, you know, the NBA has gone through like 10 different lifetimes of marketing styles and approaches in just my adult life. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Someone on Twitter the other day posted. Um, I remembered them so vividly. Those those WNBA commercials that had Kyla Pratt in them when she was like a, a kid, like the early WNBA commercials. And I was like, God, I love these. They're like, I think Nike commercials. And I was like, I don't know. To be fair, I don't watch a ton of commercials these days. So I was like, I don't know the last time I've seen a WNBA player in a shoe commercial. And not even with a signature shoe. Like a signature shoe would be cool. But I don't even know the last time I've like seen one centered on a WNBA player where that player is not like secondary to other players you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so i think there's some way to go but i i can do the rapper i could do the rapper pairings all day because you know i was gonna say um i was gonna talk about destiny henderson's kind of like uh just real fearlessness i think and mm-hmm. determination she I, she's someone who actually wasn't sure well i was hopeful that she would make that roster right like where, because where she got picked and all i was a yeah. little nervous but i was also like you know Again, with respect to the Indiana Fever, I don't want to like knock any Indiana Fever. But it listeners. is a good place to go. But I was like, compared they need, to other teams, yeah, yeah, I was like, it's a good place to land because they need they need the help. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a kind of fearlessness and determination to her play, especially early on this season. I know it's really early, but she just looks like she's fits in. Um, and I think about how many rappers I listen to now, who. Um, in this era where there's maybe less gatekeeping in the form or the gatekeeping is more flimsy than it was who that gatekeeping being more flimsy is a for better, hugely for better or worse thing. But in the moments of the better where you find people who are um, really stumbling their way into something and that feels like they were already always built for, but I did just get tickets to a fever game because I, (laughs) I'm just such a big, you know, so I will be once again. I will be going to watch the Fever play. Well, maybe maybe it'll surprise you this year. <laughs> I hope so. I, yeah, yeah, of course, right? There's your optimism. As there's a fan. optimism every there year. Like every year is like an opportunity to. Every single year, I believe the Timberwolves are going to make the playoffs, even when nothing suggests to me that they will. <laughs> um, I love that. You have to kind of have to. 
Yeah, what's to the, be a like, fan? Me, yeah, like why else do like, this? Why else? Why else do this? Like why else subject ourselves to the disappointment that comes? The thing about it is, winning is fucking hard, and mm-hmm. only one team is going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like only one team is going to win a championship, and winning a championship is hard as hell. Yeah, and so what? are the fans of the other if we're talking about like the nba or whatever like what are the fans of the other 30 whatever teams gonna do right you you can't not only was winning a championship hard but also going into every season there are probably only six teams that can realistically do it Mm -hmm. and if i know if i'm being honest with myself and saying the timberwolves probably aren't going to win a championship but then what comes after the but yeah yeah. With with apologies to my therapist who wants me to stop saying but as much. <laughs> what happens to the what happens after the but? You know, like I can't yeah. be like Timberwolves, I can't be like Timberwolves aren't going to win a championship, but uh that means I don't care. Mm-hmm. People were so up in arms about the Timberwolves celebrating that winning that playoff mm-hmm. or that play in game, and that was so strange to me because I was like, have you ever rooted for a team that has been bad for a long time? <laughs> Yeah, you let them I mean? love like, it. Yeah, just let them love it. Yeah, yeah. Because this is, people are like, people are like, they're acting like they won the championship. It's like, motherfucker, this is our championship. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> it's not, this team let is not winning this. the NBA championship. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Oh, man. Um. So speaking of jerseys that you can't get for the WNBA, I've talked about this on the show before, but my husband loves Allie Quigley. And my dream was to get him a Quigley jersey and myself a Vandersloot jersey. And then the, that would be adorable. Oh, yes. And I just can't, I just like can't do it, Um. even can't though they're the champions. Uh, but my Allie Quigley would be mad at me if I did not ask one final question of you, which what music? Hanif, are you listening to these days? Or maybe like, what are you excited about that's coming down the pipe right now? So right now, I I used to be so good at early on doing this and not looking at my, I'm a very, um, people can't see this because we're on a podcast. So I'm looking at my, I'm accessing my Spotify Yeah, because I have a very rigorous, (laughs) I have a very rigorous process of new music listening where I have a playlist called 2022 Music where I put all of the albums I'm interested in hearing as they come out. And then the ones that I'm excited about, I move to a second playlist with that is just 2022 music with a little heart emoji. I love um, it. Which makes it it easy for me to be like, these are the albums that I am most excited about. Um, Right now, you know, I still can't get off of Sid's out. Sid's album came out maybe three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I still, I just think it's a masterpiece, uh, a real beautiful record that I can't get off of. I'm still thinking about it. Layla McCalla's album came out on Friday. It's called Breaking the Thermometer, and it's it's really nice. It's just a really um, enveloping album. We talked about Block Party a bit mm-hmm. and how that new album is, has made me happy. It feels like a return to form for them. Um, speaking of returns to form, the new Bell and Sebastian record. Oh, I didn't know there was a new Bell and Sebastian record. I feel like most people didn't, which I think is odd because it's like their first record in eight years or so. And usually yeah. when that happens, I feel like. Yeah, there's like noise. There's a whole, there's fanfare. And it, this one kind of like came and huh. slipped under the radar, but it is, it is very good. Speaking about traveling to see things, to see the WNBA, like another thing that I have to travel to do often is see live music. And Bell and Sebastian are playing in this kind of orbit of places around Ohio and I'm I, I'm like, oh, do I want to drive to go see them? But maybe. Um, there's this punk band out of Texas called Fade Em All that came out with this album called Houston Riots. Um, you know, lyrically at points I cringe a bit, but it is a really good record. Okay. Um, Houston Riots. And 
I will I will slow down eventually. Sorry, I feel like I'm uh, I'm I'm just naming a bunch of things. Kalani's new album was mm. really beautiful. I'm a big Kalani fan though. I, I, I'm I realized that um, I was like waxing poetically and joyfully about the new Kalani album. And I was like, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, and I, I think I said something to a friend, like, and I usually don't like love Kalani's records like this. And they're like, I don't know, you said this about the last Kalani record too, <laughs> the moment before that. So I guess I am a big Kalani fan, but the new record is um, surprisingly delightful. My homie Def C is a rapper out of Chicago, um, and he released he released an album recently with a producer called Boathouse. Uh, the album is called For All Debts Public and Private, and I think it's one of the better rap albums of the year. Um, and lastly, I'll say, you know. Bonnie Raitt, um, Bonnie Raitt's interesting to me because I don't actually think, uh, let me think here. Let me be generous here. I don't know if I think Bonnie Raitt is like an album artist, you know, Mm. like a lot of Bonnie Raitt's albums outside of Nick of Time, maybe just don't really do it for me. But I return to Bonnie Raitt albums because she's just so technically brilliant as a as a song builder even that whereas like even if the songs don't work for me i'm kind of like still really swept away by them and so the newest bonnie raid album i like um oceanator i'd say oceanator i saw oceanator live I, you know i popped in on an oceanator show when they played in columbus a couple weeks ago it was on i feel bad because it was on a friday and it was a friday of the game six i think of the timberwolves series mm-hmm. and so i came for i i went for like i stood in the back i stood in the back by the door and the minute they got done playing i was like i gotta go home <laughs> but that's how much i love the record i love the i love the album it's called nothing's ever fine um and it's just i, I don't know i adore it oh well thank you so much Hanif, for all of that for all your time you're so generous to talk to us so much about all of this and it's just such a pleasure to share this time with you no doubt. Thank you for having me. And I, I love, I love the show. And I got to give you some props because you got me hip to, um, I saw you like tweeting about it perhaps. And it got me the new season of American prodigies. Mm-hmm. Cause I had only ever heard, um, one, I didn't know that American prodigies is like an ongoing thing. I heard the Freddie Adu one. Yeah. Uh, back in whenever Grant did that. And, um, I thought it was just like a one-off thing. And so mm-hmm. when I saw you kind of sharing the, the newest one, I was really drawn to it. And I listened to it on, I listened to it on a drive and, uh, recently I listened to like, I think the most up-to-date version on a drive and it was really great. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah. We, I really appreciate that. No doubt. Thank you for having me. This was a real pleasure. It's always good to talk about sports. No one ever asked me to really. So, Oh, well you can literally come on here anytime you want and talk about sports. <laughs> <laughs> you are always welcome. <laughs> Very cool. We'll do. That's it for this episode of burn it all down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn it all down as part of the blue wire podcast network. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. And as always, thank you to our patrons. Your support means the world. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, visit patreon.com slash burnitalldown. To all of our flamethrowers, burn on and not out.